1: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey warmer from the low. Welcome to Mummy Las Vegas Tracuska Customs with myself, Greg Eames Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, we've got a tremendous podcasts for you as we've got another conference preview coming up today as we're gonna be looking at the Ohio Valley Conference. Joining me in segment number two is going to be the one and only Blake Lovell. He does great work over at South Eastern 14. He's joined me the last few years to be able to break down the OVC as we're going to be taking a look at the uh, moves that we have seen in the offseason, including the addition of Western Illinois, some of the players that are returning, what remains the same, what is going to be a little bit different as we've seen a few coaching moves within the conference as well. So we're going to be diving in on that in segment number two with Blake as he does an amazing job taking a look at so many of these mid-majors. Here in segment number one, we're going to be taking a look at styles of play and betting trends when it comes to the OVCA conference that does not look, quite look the same ever since Belmont and Murray State decided to jump ship and go to the Missouri Valley Conference. So That's coming up in segment number one. And then in the final segment, I'm going to get you guys my projector or finish for the OVC. And if you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Janet underscore 81. Keep in mind letters, EM, yeah, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. And as per usual, because I am doing a conference preview today. Instead of doing the college basketball news and notes from Saturday on the show today, I'll be doing Saturdays and Sundays as a whole. So just recapping the weekend in the podcast tomorrow, because I do think that we need to be keeping these conference previews a little bit as standalones and giving them the shine that they deserve, whether that be a power conference or whether that be an Ohio Valley Conference, uh, well, it's not quite what it once was. Let's dive in on this conference here and let's take a look at an OVC that had a one team be able to get to at least 20 wins last year. That was Murray State. Murray State really did run the regular season. They went 14-4 and four during the regular season. Then you had just a big, giant gobble of teams that had between 10 and 11 wins. Tennessee Tech, and this is a straight-up record within the conference, they were that number two team. They rose up eleven and seven within the conference. Overall they were sixteen and seventeen, but eleven and seven within the conference. UT Martin, Tennessee State, along with Southeast Missouri State, and Southeast Missouri State would be the team that goes to the NCAA tournament. Ten and eight within the conference. All these teams won between eighteen and nineteen games. SIU Edwardsville, they were probably the biggest disappointment within the conference. They go nine and nine in conference along with southern Indiana in their first year at the D one level. Lindenwood and Little Rock they both go 6-12 within the conference and Easter Illinois pulled off the biggest upset we have seen in modern college basketball is north of 30 point underdogs against Iowa well it didn't translate to very good results during the uh, regular season within the conference they went 5-13 within the OVC and for the OVC not a lot of defense was played by a lot of these teams Moorhead State was the only team to allow fewer than 71.3 points per contest and a big reason why is because they are sort of zagging while everyone else zigs. You're going to notice that this is a conference that they do have quite a few teams that they're willing to run it and got it. That's putting it politely as the team that represented the conference in the NCAA tournament, Southeast Missouri State, they were number three in the country in terms of total possessions per game. So. They were certainly getting after it. Little Rock, one of the newer teams within the conference, they were 20th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You would have a little bit of fallout from there as one of these teams, they... Then would be more in that neighborhood about like 75th or so SIU Edwardsville, They were 49th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Lindenwood was 77th. UT Martin was actually significantly faster. They were 15th in the country. Tennessee State, 29th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Tennessee Tech, they are 84th in the country. So you had these teams just absolutely pushing it with no regard for human life and Morehead State was really that one slug within the conference, as for Morehead State, in terms of total possessions per game, 309th. So, they were actually valuing playing a little bit of defense, but costed them a little bit on the offensive side of things as well. As you actually did have some halfway decent three-point shooting teams. I'm not going to really call them great three-point shooting teams, but... You had a few teams that were able to put the biscuit in the basket, and most notable of them, Southern Indiana, who came up from the D2 level. They were 60th in the country in terms of overall three-point shooting percentage and 36.5% three-point shooting team on the road. They were able to do a relatively solid job on that front. And then when you take a look at the Tennessee two schools, Tennessee Tech, was actually 27th in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Tennessee State, they were more around 107 and UT Martin. 296th in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. That was a little bit costly to them, and if you're taking a look at this conference, you also notice no defense at all, as I was alluding to a little bit earlier, and with Morehead State, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, with them being really the only team that gave up fewer than 71.5 points per contest, they still clocked in at 186th, and the biggest reason why is just because they played so stinking slow that that caused them to give up quite a few more per possession. Your actual best defense in terms of points allowed per possession, that would be SIU Edwardsville. They were 130th in the country, and then you had UT Martin at 227th, Tennessee State at 210th, Tennessee Tech 267th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and you just notice it. You didn't have any of these schools really be like a bottom five defenses by any stretch of the imagination, but they were all just... Bad defenses. Southern Indiana, they were right around 271st in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Eastern Illinois, they were 254th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. So they were bad defenses. They weren't necessarily historically bad defenses. So that was a little bit of a saving grace for a conference that very much was all over the place. And despite the fact that in terms of Kempom, I don't think that there was a single top 200 team. I really don't use Kempom. I don't have it pulled up. I can't think that there was a single one that ranked in the Ken Pomeroy top 200. This conference actually did really good in the role of underdog. You had a bunch of teams cashing tickets. You did have a trio of teams. Southern Indiana, UT Martin, along of the Eastern Illinois that were unable to have a winning record against the spread as an underdog. Eastern Illinois in the role of underdog. They go 11-14 and one against the spread. UT Martin, 6-7. and seven. Southern Indiana, 7-8. and eight. And then you did have a pair of teams in Morehead State and Tennessee State go 7-7 seven and seven in the role of underdog. But you had some teams cash cashing tickets. Little Rock, who, by the way, they were 327th of the country. It turns the points a lot on a per possession basis. Fifteen and eight against the spread as an underdog. Tennessee Tech, 10 7 and 1 against the spread as an underdog. Southeast Missouri State 10 8 and 1 against the spread as an underdog. And then SIU Eddersville. They actually went eight and three against the spread as an underdog. And it was very intriguing to take a look at because this was a conference where road teams just had an almighty struggle. You had two teams be able to hit north of 50% of their games against the spread on the road. Eastern Illinois was one of them, and 9-6 and six against the spread, and at State was 9-8. and eight. This is now a little bit more of a spread out conference, by the way, because you go and you have a, a pair of teams in the state of Illinois, you now have Missouri in the fold, you've got Tennessee, Indiana, so there is a little bit more travel, which I do think led to a bit of this, but you have like Tennessee Tech, Tennessee State, they went, Tennessee Tech did seven eighty eight against the spread on the road. Tennessee State, 5-7 against the spread on the road. But then UT Martin, 5-10 against the spread on the road. Southern Indiana, 6-10 against the spread on the road. And then Southeast Missouri State, S.A. Reddumsville, along with Lindenwood, all either went 6-9 and nine or 6-9-1 against the spread on the road. Meanwhile, these home court advantages, they did prove to have big, giant advantages as You had a grand total of six teams hit north of 61% of their games against the spread at home. Lindenwood, 8-2 against the spread at home. Morehead State, 9-3 against the spread at home. Arkansas Little Rock, 8-3 against the spread at home. Tennessee Tech, 8-4 against the spread at home. Southeast Missouri State, 7-4 against the spread at home. And then you had 8-5 against the spread at home in Tennessee State. The two teams that really didn't do a good job at home, Southern Indiana, 4-6-1 against the spread at home. And Eastern Illinois, 4-8-1 against the spread. And Eastern Illinois, they just have had a rough run of things recently. They should have never fired Jay Spoonhour. That's a conversation for a different podcast on a different day. And then if you're looking at the trends that we saw in regards to totals for the OVC, it was an overwhelming conference. You had one team play fewer than 57% of their games in the over. And guess who it was? You guessed it. More at State. ten. Overs, 19-unders, at a push. From there, you had Tennessee State, 68% of their games go over. Arkansas, Little Rock, 65.5% of their games go over. Southern Indiana, SIU Wintersville, they both had 19-overs to 11-unders. 18-overs and 11-unders to Eastern Illinois. 21-overs to 13-unders for Southern Missouri. Tennessee Tech, 18-overs, 12-unders. UT Martin, 17-overs, 12-unders. Lindenwood, 16-overs, 12-unders, and a push. It was absolutely ridiculous. All you had to do was bet the over in this conference, and you were making yourself a whole bunch of money. Sands, obviously, was more at-state games. And if you take a look at what happened out-of-conference versus in-conference, because I do think that this is an interesting parallel to take a look at as well. Out-of-conference, these teams were just money machines when it came to being able to bet overs as well. So you did have more at-state play just three of their 11 non-conference games the over, And then Southeast Missouri State actually did play a few unders outside the conference as well. Out of their 12 non-conference games, 7 of them did go under. But for Tennessee State, along with Eastern Illinois, Little Rock, S.A. Richardsville, along with Lindenwood, at least 60% of their non-conference games go over the total. And then things get even more harebrained within the conference, as all but one team at at least 55.5% of their games go over the total within the conference, more at State. Warren State was 7 overs, 11 unders, and a push within the conference. And then you add Southeast Missouri State goes 16 overs and 6 unders within the conference. Southern Indiana, Tennessee State, 68.5% of their conference games go over the total. Little Rock, 12 out of their 18 conference games go over. 13-7 and seven was the record for overs for Tennessee Tech, along with S.R.U. Richardsville, Eastern Illinois, 11 overs, 7 unders. UT Martin, 12 overs, 8 unders, Lindenwood, 10 overs, 8 unders, and a push within the conference. So, this was a very overwhelming conference with, quite frankly, not a lot of defense being played by anyone other than Moritz Seid. And Moritz State is the only team that is not looking to run it and gun it. and. You've got a Western Illinois team coming in that they played quite up-tempo last season as well, so let's dive into these rosters a little bit more next with Lake Lovell. He does great work over at Southeastern 14. He is based out there in the great state of Tennessee, nearby a lot of these schools, so we're going to be getting a lay of the land and a look at all these rosters and these coaches within the OVC next with Blake Lovell right here on Cusco Seats with myself, Greg Eaps Peterson, now part of the Decent Family Podcast, the OVC Conference for you again.
1: And
2: we're back. to love you, Las Vegas. For Coast to Hoops, with myself, Greg Hoops-Peterson, now part of the Visa family, a podcast. This is the Ohio Valley Conference Preview Edition, and it is always great to get on this van as it's become a yearly tradition to have Blake Lovell break down the OVC with me. He's based out there in the great state of Tennessee, which, as we know, there's quite a few teams from the conference within the great state of Tennessee. Blake does a tremendous job over at Southeast from 14, taking a look at all things SEC, Really does a great job keeping his finger on the pulse of college basketball and is a man that you're able to follow now on X. That's a strange change at the V Blake level altogether. And Blake, great to have you aboard. And feels as weird to call Twitter X as it does looking at the OVC without Belmont and Murray State. Always appreciate it. Thank you.
4: Yeah, I always enjoy it, Greg. Like you said, it's definitely a new look OVC these days. It seemed like for so many years there, you're just kind of looking up and always expecting to see one of those two teams right there at the top and it's a lot different now and as you know there will be another team added to the mix so we'll see what happens in this conference which has i think sort of been one that uh, has not exactly been in the best spot with all the conference realignment and such
2: no it certainly has not been but they do add a team this season as you were alluding to and that would be western illinois with western illinois it's been a little bit of a than savory run for them and as a result they no longer have Rob Jeter in the fold. They make a coaching change during the offseason, but they were able to promote from within. And I think it's interesting about Western Illinois is that they do retain a lot of their low post play from last year, but you did have two dominant scorers. Trenton Mastner was able to light it up, along with Alec Roser. Both of those guys are out of the fold. So they're going to be looking to the likes of Josiah West and company Down low, what do you expect for this team? Because it was a struggle for them in the summit league, but the OVC, I think, is much more favorable for them being halfway respectable this year.
4: Yeah, it is interesting. As we always talk about, I think when you look at programs that just have to transition to a new conference, definitely one that sometimes it's hard to to really get a full read on what some of these teams could be capable of. And I think it makes it harder with Western Illinois because, like you said, it's a new coach in place now and really just trying to figure out exactly what this team's going to do, even though you can look at their roster and see some pieces that are there. But like you said, it's sort of the transition itself. You know, the OVC is not exactly as we talked about without Belmont and Murray state has not been the strongest from top to bottom. And so I think that'll, that'll benefit Western Illinois just because, you know, the depth of the league, I don't think is what it was, you know, five years ago or whatever. So, I do think that will make that transition a little bit easier, but I think I, I'm just most fascinated, like you mentioned, a couple of the pieces on the roster and then just the, the coaching staff. You would expect some of that continuity to co- co- continue, given who they hired. But I do think it's one where we'll kind of see how they factor into the mix, because you know, again, coming off of not a great season in the Summit League, but obviously you know, a team that won more games than they lost, and you'll certainly take that. And so I think they've got a chance, Greg, to kind of step right in and not exactly be a team that that struggles with everyone you know I think they'll have a chance to be pretty competitive in this league and it's just a matter of seeing again how you adjust to playing a completely different schedule which we've seen good teams come in and struggle with that before but we've also seen teams do just fine in terms of making that transition.
2: And Joe Patrik is coming in from Illinois State if he's able to get back to that form that he had at yeah. another Western school Western Carolina that is going to be big for them as well and, and then I do take a look at this school in SIU Edwardsville and they were such an interesting team last year because with Edwardsville, right when they were able to get that massive win, they were able to knock off St. Louis. You were thinking, all right, this team has finally arrived. And then they finished 500 within the OBC. They really flailed towards back half of the season. 19 wins for an SIU Edwardsville team that, let's call it what it is, they don't necessarily have the world's greatest track record. That's good for them. And they do return four of their top five scorers, including the infamous Wright brothers, as their father is actually Lorenzo Wright. We... I don't remember what happened a few years ago there, but that said, they bring back Rayshon Taylor. They bring back quite a bit of the rebounding from the scene last year. I'm very fascinated by a bunch that got off to such a hot start last year, but they did cool off in OVC play.
4: Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think for them just to make the jump that they made, because you know for several years there, right, it was just once they they made the transition into the conference, again, it was an adjustment period. We just talked about Western Illinois and see what happens there, but Now, you know, the fourth year in, that they really made that jump. And I think now it's, can you just keep building off of that? Because like we said, it's kind of there for the taking, given where the league is. But you mentioned all the returning production. I think that's what the most interesting part is. This is a team that's probably kind of middle of the pack last year, if you look at Ken Palm's, you know, experience rankings and all that kind of stuff. But they're going to be, you know, older just because they've got guys that, that have played together and just having like you mentioned, for those top five guys back from a scoring standpoint, it's significant because we know that's not always the case when you get to leagues like this and you look at different rosters. Even though they did struggle a little bit down the stretch, I still think there's some things they can build off of. You know, one of quite a few teams in this league, which I know is kind of a common theme, Greg, that really can get up and down the floor and going to play at a faster tempo. And obviously, I think you know, a league like this, too, where three-point shooting has been pretty good, or at least it was last season, I think that's one area, if you're Edwardsville, maybe finding a way to be a little better there, be a little more efficient in that area. But it's a team that was really good to get to the free-throw line. And so I'm curious just to see with just these guys coming back, that's a nice luxury to have in a conference like this where you know not just coaching changes, but also personnel changes as well uh, in a lot of places.
2: Uh, I do think that with SIU at Edwardsville, there's quite a bit of upside with this team. And man, they... Are certainly improved from where they were a few seasons ago, as well as joining me on the show. We've got Blake Lovely, he does tremendous work over at Southeastern 14, and then there's been a lot of transitionary schools that have entered in the OVC the last few years. And Southern Indiana is one of them. Southern Indiana had a respectable year; they were 500 going into their CBI game. They ended up losing that one against San Jose State, but all in all, this was a bunch of year number one at the D1 level. I would say so far, so good. But here's what's not so good. They're going to be losing each other top five scores from last season. Jeremiah Hernandez, who averaged around five points per contest last year, he is the top guy returning. Now, they are going to be adding in a few guys from the transfer portal, like Jalen Bates, who was able to put up double figures at Florida A&M, but now he has to make the leap up from the SWAC to the Ohio Valley Conference. This feels like the team has in the most transition of any team out here in the OVC, and I think that this is a well-coached team, and obviously, was equipped for being able to have success right away at the D1 level. I just question whether or not they're going to be able to
4: sustain it because they lose turn near all of their top producers from last year. Well, what's interesting, too, is when you look back at what they did last season, I could probably look down the schedule and I'm going to see if I can find it. I think, Greg, a regular season, I think five of their last six losses – in OVC play were about like five points or less. And they had a couple of those overtime games in there too. So that's where the part you talk about how you're losing a lot of guys from that team, but it's like, that is the unfortunate issue because you felt like you weren't that far away from kind of changing some things here and really, you know, taking off in year one in the OVC, but now you've got to kind of restructure the roster a bit. And they were one of those teams that shot the three well last season. And that was, you know, a team that really just got the bulk of their points from that position. So yeah, it's going to look a little bit different this season for Southern Indiana because, like we said, didn't feel like they were that far off last year, losing as many close games as they did. But now it's really trying to see exactly what that roster is going to look like and trying to figure out, like you mentioned, you compare that to a lot of other teams around the OVC. The numbers are kind of higher in terms of seeing how many guys they're going to have to replace and really just seeing you know, if this group that they have now on this roster can keep them at that same type of level because I just think it's going to be harder for them to kind of make that big jump again going 500 last year at the conference it feels like you know that would be I don't know best case scenario is the right phrase to you Greg but it's hard to see them eclipsing that this year unless you know everyone's just able to really pick things up and keep them right where they were last season.
2: Yeah, I'm right there with you. Just with all the turnover from a season ago, I do think that it's going to be rough. And I think that this team is going to be trying to build up for when they are going to be eligible for the NCAA tournament in a few seasons. And this bunch also not going to be able to make the NCAA tournament this year because this is their second year at the D1 level. That would be Lindenwood. Lindenwood did flail towards back half of last season. They actually got off to a 7-9 start. Now, granted, that schedule is very, very soft, full of some non-D1 games, but they went 4-12 and in their final 16 games, but I do like the Northern Illinois transfer and Darius Bean. If he can get back to the 2020-2021 form, he yeah, 9.5 points, 4.5 boards, 1.3 steals per contest. That'll be good, Keenan Cole. Average 13 points, shot 46.5% from three. He's back to the fold. They do lose some of their top scores like Chris Childs and company, but bringing in Keith Amon from Northern Arizona, I do think that there's something here with Lindenwood. I actually think that they're in a little bit of better shape right now than Southern Illinois in year number two at the B1 level because they do have some returning pieces from last year.
4: Yeah, and I feel like they were one of those teams that really just had kind of a variety of results last season too because what was it the final couple games they played. They just played those huge high-scoring games. I want to say one of them went to double overtime. It was at SEMO and Little Rock, I think, were the final two games on their schedule last season. And that was interesting, right, because this was a team that really struggled to score consistently before that. And then they just kind of had two of these performances where they just kind of you know broke out for these you know high-scoring games. Yeah, again, another team that shot the three well. And that's why I think if you're, you probably don't get a chance to watch the OBC a lot, probably most people don't nationally. But that is one of the things with this conference. I mean, what, they finished top five, I think, among conferences nationally in three-point shooting. And this was another team that was able to knock down shots from outside. They'll need to keep doing that because, again, they weren't the most efficient team on either side of the floor last season. And obviously, from an experience standpoint, too, just because – they were kind of, you know, transitioning into it. And so transition, I think it's just the right word, right? It's just trying to see exactly how they take, you know, what happened last year and now try to take it, you know, a step forward, knowing that this is kind of a process when you're making that jump. And so it'll be interesting. I think they're probably one of the more interesting teams in the league. You talked about like, you know, call returning and such, and some of the guys they're going to bring in. I think they're interesting. I don't know that they're going to be a team, you know, you're going to peg to compete for the conference title or anything like that. But it does feel like they could at least maybe make a little upward momentum here. But still, you know, like you said, got to improve in quite a few areas uh, from last season, only getting 11 wins.
2: Yeah, but with Lindenwood, they were actually a sub-500 team at the Division II level. So actually, season number yeah. one, I wouldn't consider to be a total failure. And it does look <laughs> like things are going forward for them. And it looked like things were going forward for this team in December. As you joining me on the show, we've got Blake Lovell who does – Tremendous work over at South East for 14. You may recall Eastern Illinois as something like a 34 or 35 point underdog <laughs> against Iowa. It was the biggest upset of the 21st century on the money line in college basketball. They got the win and then they proceeded to finish dead last in an OVC that was one of the worst conferences at all of college basketball. Dan Lures is a solid three point shooter that made 53% of his threes two years ago That fell to 32% last year. They bring in Jalen Gibson, who had like three and a half points per game at Mount St. Mary's last year. If Rodolfo Rufino-Bolis gets back in the fold, there might be a little bit of something here. But ever since Jace Boonauer got fired at Eastern Illinois, this team has not been able to build upward momentum. I'm not sure why he got fired, and they just have not been able to bring in any talent, and I don't see why this year is going to be any different.
4: Yeah, season three for Marty Simmons there. We know he used to be at Evansville, and like you said, I think it's just trying to to find the roster necessary to move in the right direction. It's really been a struggle so far, as you mentioned. You Think back to what they did in that game against Iowa. That was part of that four-game winning streak they had. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, all right, you know, whatever the record was at the time, I think they still had a losing record. But, okay, like, we're doing something right here. Like, we just pulled off a huge upset in Iowa. We went a couple games after that to kind of keep the streak going. But then from there, like, this team just could not find anything. You know, they started to struggle offensively. They're struggling on the defensive side. And like you mentioned, they just could not get any sort of positive momentum going out of that. They were also, Greg, on the opposite end of the spectrum when we talk about a league that can shoot the ball as well as the OVC, at least, you know, percentage-wise, they did last season as a whole. This was not a team that could shoot the ball very well from outside, and that was really a non-factor for them offensively. So I think that's one step, you know, in this day and age. If you can find that, that can be a great equalizer when you feel like maybe your roster is not to the level of some of these other teams or maybe most of these other teams in the conference. And so I look at this Eastern Illinois team. Again, I think Marty Simmons is – he was at Evansville for, what, a decade basically – Had some good seasons there, but it just feels like the roster-wise, sure, they almost doubled the win total, I guess, from his first season. If you're looking at being optimistic, they won five in his first season, nine last season. But I look at this roster again and try to compare it to others, and I don't know that there's any of those things that just really stand out to make me say, all right, this team is significantly better in this area than this team and that team. It just seems like a team that's really just trying to put something together, although it was really hard to do last season outside of that Iowa game.
2: And it's so unfortunate as well, like five, six years ago. Not saying they were amazing or anything like that, but they were a pretty respectable program as well. So that's been tough to see. It was nice to see this though. Southeast Missouri State for the first time in north of 20 years made the NCAA tournament last year. And they did so without their top rebounder and Kobe Clark. He went down about midway through the season. They're going to be getting him back in the fold. That is going to be big now. They're going to be losing a lot of those guys that were so key in the backcourt last season. Guys like Philip Russell, Chris Harris, they are going to be out the fold, but they bring back someone like an Aquan Smart. He has been around the boulevard a little bit in college basketball. Dylan Branson was someone that stood out to me a little bit as well. This team was fast. Number three in the country in terms of total possessions per game. How do you gauge this bunch? Because I do think that they do play a little bit too fast for their own good, Fowls costed them in the NCAA tournament game that they did play, and they need to be a little bit more disciplined there. But I do think that getting Kobe Clark for hopefully a full season will be able to help the team out as
4: well. Yeah, I agree with you there on that. I think when you just look at kind of how they play, we always say that sometimes I think about teams that you know are in these low major type conferences is just having something that sort of separates you from the other teams can be a big thing, and it can really help you when it's going going well, right? Like you said, maybe not in the NCAA tournament game in terms of not being able to slow down at times to the point to where it kind of costs you. But I think for the most part, you know, when we saw what they did last season, at least during conference play, we, we saw that it, you know, it, that became a challenge for, for other teams in terms of just how this team wants to play. You talked about where they rank nationally, just in terms of how many possessions and just the tempo that they play at. And I do think that's something that, that Brad Korn has certainly leaned into. And you can look at the numbers over the past couple of seasons. So they are a team, I think, that is certainly moving in the right direction. And again, I think it's one of those where they were one of those teams that, you know, just seemed to kind of have that formula for for what worked for them and they just kept doing it and kept doing it. And I do think that was, you know, the tempo was a big part of it. But when you looked at the roster, and like you said, getting Clark maybe for a full season, that could be significant here. You know, someone who was in Georgetown, as we know. And so if that happens, you know, are able to do that, I think, again, Brad Corn has figured out the style they need to play and he's figured out, I think, who they need to bring in to play that style. And that has sort of helped them get over the hump here just in turn. And again, it's it's not going to work out against everybody. You know, you can look at, we talked about Iowa a minute ago. You can look at the games like they played against Iowa last year I think Missouri was another team they played and certainly gave up a lot of points. But when you're playing in the OVC, you may still give up points, but you're going to score a lot of points, too. And that's what they did at times last season. So I'm, I'm very intrigued by this team because I do think Brad Korn's a really good coach. And I think he's kind of figured out the style they need to play there.
2: And Brad Corn, a tremendous coach, a guy that was on the staff of Kansas State back when Bruce Weber was there a few years ago. And he's really done a nice job with this program, taking them back to respectability. As joining me on the show, we've got Blake Lovell. He does tremendous work over at Southeast 14, and he's joining me for the OVC Conference Preview. And I'm intrigued by this team, UT Martin. We know what they have went through. They had the passing of their coach a few seasons ago, and they've done a good job of being able to turn over a little bit of a new leaf. They were able to really do a nice job cranking up their tempo last year, a top 25 team with regards to possessions per game. They bring back K.K. Curry, who led the team in rebounds. Jordan Sears, a good point guard that began his career in the Big South, is back to the fold as well. And Jacob Crew put up big numbers at the junior college level, 20 points, seven boards, shot 37% from three. You bring in Linton Brown, who was over at Coastal Carolina, Kenny White Jr. from Murray State. I think that there's some real upside with this UT Martin team. I feel like they caught a lot of people by surprise last year, and this, in my opinion, has become one of the better contenders in but now a very new look OVC.
4: Yeah, I think Brian Ritter, you know, again, he's only been there a couple of seasons. Like you said, we all kind of know what happened with the, the, the tragic passing of Anthony Stewart, you know, several years ago. But for him coming over, For Bethune-Cookman, he was someone else that really, you know, kind of keeping the theme going, Greg. I mean, it's just he knows how he wants his teams to play. And, you know, they're another one of those teams that will play fast. And we saw that last season. And for him, it's probably been more of just putting the roster together to have that kind of success within that system. And I think you just mentioned the guys that they have now on this year's roster. I do think that there is a really good chance that they're going to be right there near the top just because, It does seem like when you look at some of these guys specifically, they fit into this type of style that they want to play. And, you know, they were obviously a very experienced team last season. Now you just kind of look at, again, taking that next step as a program. Because remember, too, it was not that long ago, it feels like, you know, when Anthony Stewart was there, UT Martin was having – some success in in some of those seasons and like they were a team that was really just trying to battle it out in that very tough OVC when you had Belmont there and Murray State there and, and all of that. So they kind of had that stretch there, for several years, was, I think Keith Schroyer was still there, too, as the head coach. I want to set his probably back. They started their run 2015, something like that. This is a program that I think that is sort of easy to root for. And again, Ryan Ritter coming over and having the big season last season because it was obviously a huge struggle. The circumstances you take over in, was it 2022 or whatever, 21-22 season. But to take a huge jump, add 11 wins, I think this is a program that is on the upward trend here and based on kind of how he's constructed the rosters. I'm very excited, I think, for what this UT Martin team could be. And like we said, this is kind of a conference where there's a lot of things that feel like they're pretty wide open when you look at some of these teams. And maybe there's not a lot that separates some of these teams at the top. But I wouldn't be surprised if UT Martin keeps moving in the right direction here and has a chance to battle right up there near one of the you know top few spots.
2: Here's a team that was able to claw their way up the standings last year as well. That'd be Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech had been bad for a really long time. They finished in sole possession of second place within the conference last year, and we do this podcast every year. We kept on saying, when is John Pelfrey going to be able to turn the corner? When is he going to be able to rack up some wins? Well, the last two years, he had a combined 16 wins. They got 16 last year. Granted, it was a little bit of a different OVC the last two years, but they took some strides forward. but now they do have to replace three other top four scorers. Javius Harvey, he's really the main holdover from a season ago. But they do bring in a top 200 recruit in Josiah Harris, who began his career in West Virginia. They're going to be bringing in David Ely from Marshall as well. The seven foot two gentleman, David Craig, comes in. So there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. And I really think that this team is going to sink or swim based on how Harvey
4: performs in the backcourt. We talked about kind of the great equalizer sometimes in the I think John Pelfrey clearly, Greg, leaned into the NATO style there in terms of coming over from being a former Alabama assistant. We know Pelfrey was head coach in Arkansas as well. But really leaning into, if you have a team that can shoot the ball, it can kind of help you erase a lot of weaknesses. And this was not a great team defensively last season. You could see that in some of the games they played. But, man, they could knock down shots consistently from outside. And I think the stat I pulled up, I think it was 13 of the final 17 games, something like that they hit at least 10 threes. And so this was a team that put up threes, but they made them, uh, I think at about a, what, 37% clip, something like that. Yes. Like now the roster is a little bit different. Can you still use that as kind of your driving force? And if they can, they can have a lot of success. But I do think it was just kind of a matter of time before John Pelfrey probably got this team to at least, you know, take a big positive step because you look at those first several seasons, you know, he's going to have to rebuild things. And I think we kind of saw that just with the roster turnover and such. And now, as we know, there's roster turnover every single offseason, no matter who you are. But I think for them, I think you're kind of just you know believing that John Pelfrey has maybe figured it out now and figured out how to put together a starting five, a rotation one through seven, whatever it is, just to be able to, again, keep those things moving in the right direction. And so I think this is another one of those teams, like you said, they took a big step last season. Even though they finished 16 and 17, may not seem... Like it's you know significant, but to really add on those extra wins in the conference, and I think to really start to figure out, hey, sometimes the game's a lot easier if you can just be really great in one area. They were really great in terms of knocking down threes; that became their focal point of the offense. Now it's just a matter of can they do that again this season? Because if they can, they'll have a good chance to, to finish right there near the top.
2: To your point, they were 27th in the country last year with regards to three-point shooting percentage, so a massive stride forward and. Well, this team is going to need to take some strides forward when it comes to their defense as Little Rock was 327th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 361st in the country in the road, opponent 3-point shooting percentage, but they actually bring in a really nice transfer hall. Jameer Chaplin had like 8 points, 4 boards over at South Florida last year. Mikhail Mitchell, he was one of the Mitchell brothers over there at Arkansas at six foot ten. He was able to give Arkansas block and after contest last year. At Rhode Island put up about 10.5 points, 5.5 boards, 2.5 blocks per contest two seasons ago as well. And Kalen Robinson is a former top 50 recruit. Now, the problem for Little Rock is pretty much the only guy returning is Jordan Jefferson. And this has been a bunch of, has not been able to play any defense whatsoever. What do you make out of Little Rock? Because they bring in the best transfer all of any team in the conference, but they don't return a whole lot? and we haven't seen them play any defense in
4: an eon. Well, and hopefully these guys that are coming in can, right? You talked about, you know, Kel Mitchell coming in and, you know, Arkansas played some defense. You you would hope that having a guy like that added to the mix, I would think that's going to help them just in terms too of of size, right? Because I mean, you've got someone like that. And I think he can really, you know, help him as what a six ten guy older. He's played minutes. uh, He's been at several stops, you know, as we know. And so, I would have to think that's at least going to help when it comes to like the interior defense and those kind of things. But you've mentioned it. If you just pull up their defensive stats, you go down the line. A lot of them are not pretty. Really, I guess what one of the best things they did was force turnovers, but everything else was not great. They allow teams to just shoot a very high percentage from pretty much everywhere. And that is not a good recipe for success. And, you know, I think we talked about them going into last season, Greg. We didn't think, I mean, really what going from the Sun Belt to the OVC, we're like, this may be actually be a team that could transition okay, but it just did not turn out to be the case. Yeah, we'll see what happens this season, but until they play some defense, it's hard to kind of have high expectations right now, I think, for this team because they just gave up so many points last year, and I know that's what they want to do there, is just kind of continue to limit those easy baskets and not give up so many points, and maybe these guys coming in, like I said, maybe he's spearheaded by Mikel Mitchell, a bigger guy that can sort of help on the interior. That may be kind of the first domino in terms of being able to really take a big step defensively, although it's probably going to be hard to do just in one season. Yeah,
2: I agree with you. I do think that the defense should be helped a little bit by Mitchell coming in, but it's been a little bit rough for this program to say the least. As joining me on the show, we do have Blake Lovell who does tremendous work over at Southeastern 14. And how about if we take a look at a team that's right there in your neck of the woods in Nashville, Tennessee. That's Tennessee State. They look to be a little bit more disciplined. They were 348th in the country in fellows committed per possession last year, but they returned Marcus Fitzgerald, a heart and soul piece, and then we were talking about Eastern Illinois, and they're just disarray. Keenan Hodges was really their top player towards the back half last year. Averaged 17 points, four boards, 1.3 steals per contest in the final 12 games of the season. He comes back. Christian Brown, who began his career at Georgia, he returns after being limited last year, shot about 42% for three of 12 points per contest. And then another SEC guy, Jason Gibbido comes in and a little bit more Nashville flair. EJ Bellinger, Michael Shanks. They come in from Belmont as well as Denim Dawson from Nebraska. I take a look at this bunch and I really think they've got a nice blend of guys that returned from last year. And they bring in some guys that... I think at the OVC, they have a chance to really put up some nice numbers.
4: Yeah, I think when you just compare rosters, Greg, to me, when I look at all these rosters on paper, I mean, this is easily, I think, one of the most talented rosters in the league, and I don't think there's a lot of doubt about that. And we know that's kind of always been something, I think, for Brian Collins there. He's a very well-connected guy, and I think when he took the job, that was one of the things that you knew, and yes, that they've had some struggles in there, I think, specifically back to, what, a couple years ago, where they, I think, only won three conference games or something. and. Only won four games overall. I think that was the 2021 season. But I think you've always sort of felt like that he is he has understood exactly how to take advantage, again, of some of the transfer era in college basketball. And I think, like you mentioned, think about the guys that he's brought in. You've got a former Florida guy. You've just got some guys that certainly have some high pedigree. And maybe it's just for him trying to get them to reach that full potential here at Tennessee State. And so, I mean, I do. I really like this roster you talked about Fitzgerald. He's someone that's very interesting to go back and watch some of their games last year. Obviously can be a very dynamic score, and just his ability, I think, to make plays is something that will really help this team from a talent standpoint. This is one of the most talented teams in the league, and I'd be surprised if they are not competing for a league title, just because they are one, I think, that that should be right up there, just based on comparing their talent. And like I said, this is also another one of those teams that's proven they can, you know, kind of play that up-tempo style and make shots from outside. And I think, you know, Brian Collins has done a good job with that.
2: Oh, he certainly has, and i have very bullish on this Tennessee State team, man. we've got one team left. This team won the regular season in the OVC last year, and they're, in my opinion, the only team as willing to play even a modicum of slow basketball from time to time, and they do play at one of the slower styles in the country. That'd be Morehead State. Now, Morehead State does lose quite a bit of the backboard from last year. Mark Freeman was awesome. I don't think that they're going to be having him back in the fold unless if something unforeseen happens, but you've got Drew well back. He was able to do a nice job putting in their eleven points per contest. Deontay Miles, he's a former top one hundred and fifty recruit by two four seven Sports, along with Khalil Thomas, who spent quite a bit of time over at UTEP and UW Milwaukee. And Jalen Windham was a really good three point shooter at Ball State. He comes in along with Amanzi Nugamezi. He was over at Jacksonville State along with Georgia to begin his career. Very interesting, more at State team that I feel like they've got the highest floor of anyone. In this conference, because they do play a distinct style, and they, unlike most teams in this conference, want to play some defense.
4: Yeah, and I think again, you give Preston Spradlin the benefit of the doubt at this point. I mean, they've won what three straight years, twenty-two or more wins. To me, that got to be probably looked at as just a team that's going to probably keep that momentum going in terms of what he's been able to establish there. And and you said at the start, yes, we've kind of used the theme, but if you can find a way to be different that can really help you. And they're different in that they don't play like everyone else. They're not going up and down the floor. They really play their style. They sort of force you to play the way they want to play. And I think there's a lot of teams in this league. And I I think we were talking about SEMO, Greg, and teams like that. But sometimes it's easy to get impatient. And if you get impatient against Morehead State, we've seen that over the past several years, they will make you pay for it because they are, you know, completely bought in, I think, to the way that that Preston Spradlin wants to play there. And so, yeah, roster-wise, it's easy to look at them and, again, just say if they can just keep building off of what they built on basically the past three seasons now, it's hard not to be excited, I think, about what they can do this year. and like I think Preston Spradlin's always been someone, you know, even when you go back and let's say, I mean, he's been there a while now and it's hard to believe, but I think this is going to be his eighth season, I believe. But you could tell early on, like he was someone that I think had a really good grasp and it's also helped too just being in the OVC, right? We talk about all the movement, different teams coming in, teams exiting, but they've been in the OVC, he understands kind of what it takes be successful in this league and I think that's helped him kind of adopt a style that has really worked for them. And yeah, I mean it's really worked the past three seasons and they know who they are and I'd be very surprised if they're not right there at the top competing for the title.
2: And it actually does look like they'll have Mark Freeman back in the fold as well. So that's even better for this yeah. bunch as well. So you've got some nice firepower there and we've always got great firepower on this conference preview. Whenever we get you aboard Blake, you do tremendous work over at Southeast for 14. You're based out there in the great state of Tennessee, as is many of the teams from the OVC. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for
4: you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Always appreciate it, Greg. Like you said, this is – the OVC it can be a challenge sometimes. But, yeah, it should be another interesting year in the conference. But, yeah, you can follow all my stuff. Obviously, the SEC stuff I do. Go to YouTube, search for Southeastern 14. All my other college basketball stuff. is on. I was about to say Twitter, Greg, but i got to keep remembering. <sighs> say X. You can follow me on X. <laughs> At the Blake level. I don't know how often I'm going to be able to say that. I think I'm just going to always say Twitter, but we'll say X just for the purpose of accuracy here. Yeah, it's
2: absolutely ridiculous trying to call it X, just like it's ridiculous that we were unable to talk about Murray's state of Bellbot on this podcast as well. But you know what? Sometimes things change. But one thing that remains the same, the great content that Blake Lovell puts out and the great insights that he's got. Always appreciate Blake joining me right here on Costa Ca Suitstow Part of the Visa Family Podcast. And this is a very interesting conference to say, but Lisa coming back, I do give you my projector finish for the OVC.
0: At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call
3: 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
2: And we're back here in Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Supes, with myself, Greg Eames Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It was great to be able to get Blake Lovell aboard. He does an amazing job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. Every single time he joins this podcast, does a tremendous job taking a look at this great game. He's over there at Southeastern 14, but does a great job keeping his finger on the pulse of all things college basketball. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you my projector finish for the OVC. Before we go any further, just a little bit of a friendly reminder that... Because I am doing a conference preview today, the news and notes of college basketball from the last 48 hours are going to be rounded up instead of the last 24 hours on the podcast tomorrow. So you're going to get a nice little weekend recap as to everything that we did see in college basketball. So we've got you guys covered there. And we've got you guys covered with regards to dead last it turns of my projector or finish. That would be Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois has been having a rough run of things. If they can get Dan Lures to be able to pick it up a little bit, you might be looking at something. You may recall during the 2021-22 th- season. He shot 53.5% from three, only put up about 7.8 points per game, but he was solid. That dipped all the way to 31.7% from three-point range. They had that just magical win over Iowa, and then it proved to be a flash in the pan as they finished dead last in this conference last year. Caleb Donaldson is the top returning scorer. Average 8.5 points, 3.5 assists per contest. Jalen Gibson is going to be coming in from Mount St. Mary's, but he didn't do a lot there averaging about 3.5 points per contest. Cooper Jacoby, he was a bench player over at Toledo. Rodolfo rufino Belize needs to get back to his 2021-22 form, where he was able to average about a block, a steal, five boards per contest, and Jermaine Hamlin. He came over from Illinois, and he did nothing. This has just been really, really bad. They were 338th in the country in terms of rebound rate last year, 350th in the country in terms of field goal attempts that came from 3 range. And they were 354th in free throw shooting percentage. Really, really bad team, in my opinion. This is going to be one of those teams that come palm is just going to have a big frowny face around. I've got New Jersey, Illinois, dead last, number 11, with regards to my projector or finish. And number 10, with regards to my projector or finish, we go to Southern Indiana, who had a really nice year in their first year. At the Division 1 level, the problem is they lose darn near everyone from last year. They have to replace each other top six scores. This was a team that was not afraid to let it fly, and they had great success at the Division 2 level. Now they have to experience the heartbreak of losing a lot of these guys, and they tried to pick up a few guys in the transfer portal to be able to help. They get in Jordan Tillman. He was at Florida A&M last year, averaged about 10.5 points, 2.5 assists per contest, Jack Champion, These figures have a bigger role after he averaged right around two and a half points, two assists per contest last season. Tennessee Tech, six foot ten gentleman. Nolan Coswell, he should be able to give you a little bit of something down low, but this team was two hundred and seventy-first in the country. He turns the points a lot on a per possession basis. Yurin Hassan, he comes in as well after he was a part of the Yukon program that won the title last year. Bad news is he played zero minutes on that team. Jeremiah Hernandez is gonna to need to step up after he shot about 41.5% from three, but he's a top returning scorer from last year and averaged 4.9 points per game. This is a relatively solid coaching staff that had great success at the Division II level. This is just a big giant ball wax, and I think that it is gonna be rough to say the least. Number 10 in my projector of finish, I'm gonna be going with Southern Indiana. And number nine in my projector of finish, I'm going with Lindenwood. Lindenwood actually started out 7-9 and nine, thanks to a short and soft schedule to begin the year last year. They went 4-12 and 12 in their last 16 games. Now, good news is they've got Darius Bean in the fold, and they're going to hope that he returns to his 2020-21 form when he was at Northern Illinois, where he was averaging 9.5 points, 4.5 boards, 2 assists, a little bit over a steal per game in the back. Miss the entirety of the 2022 23 season. They are going to be returning. One of their top rebounders in Keenan Cole as well. Murray around 13 points, 5.7 boards, and shot 46.3% from three point range. Now he took such few threes that he uh, hardly qualified. For being among the top D1 players with regards to three-point shooting percentage, he was 23rd. So i would like to see a little bit more volume there. David Ware is someone that should be able to give the team a few rebounds as he averaged right around four points, four and a half rebounds per game last season. But you do lose some many top scorers like Chris Childs from last season as well. The defense needs to get better. And they don't bring in a ton from the transfer portal. They're really banking on Keith Heyman to be able to get back to his 2021-22 form. That year, he averaged nearly 10 points, 3.5 boards on 36.2%, 3-point shooting. That dipped to about 4% from 3. They're really investing in some, shall we say, reclamation projects with regards to this program. Lots of question marks, and this is not a, shall we say, a pillar of defense, to say the least. Number 9 in my projector finish, I'm going to be going blended Lindenwood. At number 8, I'm going to be going with Little Rock. Little Rock has to replace their top 4 scorers from last season with... Jordan Jefferson being the main holdover after he averaged 8 points on 38.7% 3-point shooting. And you do have Sonny Kalen Robinson, who I do think is very interesting. Two four seven 7 sports. Rated him as the number 39 prospect in the class of 2020. This is probably the best talent Little Rock has gotten in in quite some time. Just could not get out there in three seasons in the SEC as he bounced around a little bit within that conference. You'll bring in Jameer Chaplin. He was able to play meaningful minutes at South Florida. 8 points, 3.7 rebounds per game, and then you bring in Mikel Mitchell as well. 6'10 big man that comes in from Arkansas, was able to average a block and a half per contest. Problem is, this team has absolutely no depth whatsoever. I have no idea who in the world is going to be bringing up the ball for this team. The building blocks are actually there. For Little Rock to be able to ascend this season, they just need to get that point guard spot figured out. If I were to guess, I would say that Galen Robinson is going to need to have the ball in his hands quite a bit. And you could use something out of Nigel John as well. I believe that he's still going to be within the program. He was a top 20 junior college transfer going to JucoRecruiting.com for the class of 2022. And he did darn near nothing last year. So there's some nice building blocks here for Little Rock. I just don't know if they have the needed, shall we say, artillery to be able to put it together. As a result, with Little Rock, I do have them number eight with regards to my projector finish. At number seven, I am going to be going with Western Illinois. Western Illinois has darn near nobody to be able to bring up the ball, and that is a big, giant issue because you had two guys last year that were Mr. Do-It-All and Trenton Mansner along with Alec Rosner. These guys were able to combine for north of 32 points per contest. They did a good job of being able to grab rebounds. They were able to do a nice job of being able to do a lot of assists as well, and these two guys are now on the fold. That is very much less than savory for the team as... And a combined nearly eight assists between the two of them. That is just an absolute killer. And Master had a 40 plus point game last season. Someone that was able to shoot at about 36% from three point range. And you return one guy that shot above 27.5% from three last year. KJ Lee, who gave you four points and three rebounds for contest. But I do think that they are going to have one of the best front courts within this conference. You've got Quinlan Bennett along with Josiah West. These two guys last year both averaged 9.7 points per contest apiece. West was a little bit more of the low post player, 1.7 blocks, 7.3 rebounds per game. Bennett was able to give you right around 5.5 boards, nearly a seal per contest, and has the ability to pop threes. Didn't necessarily shoot them well, but he has the ability to pop threes. You're bringing Drew Cissé. He's a six ten gentleman that at the 91 level is able to give you some rebounds. And the kicker is Joe Petrakis. If Joe Petrakis can get back to what he was at Western Carolina a few seasons ago, where he was able to shoot from three-point range right around 34.5%, he averaged eight points per contest as a six ten stretch player, you've got yourself a little bit of something here. The team, they made a coaching change in the offseason, Rob Jeter. He has never really been able to find it as a head coach. He has been replaced by Chad Boudreaux. This was an assistant on the team last year. He was able to do a nice job of be able to keep these guys together. I do think that these guys are going to play hard for him, and I do think that that low post play will keep Western Illinois respectable in this conference. So as a result, I do have Western Illinois. And number 7, with regards to my projector or finish, And number 6, I'm going to be going with Tennessee Tech. The Tennessee schools are very much a tough call with Tennessee Tech. They do have to replace a lot of their top scores from last year, but they bring in Josiah West. 247 Sports rated him as the number 161 recruit for the class of 2022. He was actually at West Virginia last year. Problem was, he did not really play at all at West Virginia last season, so we don't necessarily know what he's able to do out there on the court, but We've got a little bit of a high upside guy there with Tennessee Tech. This team last year was 27th in the country with regards to three-point shooting percentage. They do have to replace a lot of those top three-point shooters. So they are going to be bringing back Deontay Woods, who was able to give you six and a half points, three and a half boards, two assists, and down the stretch, nine points, four and a half boards, 2.4 assists per contest in the last 12 games. Eric Oliver was able to put in there six and a half points per contest, and David Ely coming over from Marshall. He averaged just three points per game last season, but he was able to give you more like four and a half points at 36% three-point shooting in his first two years on campus. That's going to be big. Javarius Hayes, he's the top scorer returning, shot about 44% for three, 12 points, nearly two and a half assists per contest. At David Craig, he's someone that comes in as a seven-foot-two load. From Mercer, who was able to put up right around four boards, five and a half points per contest last season. I do think that for Tennessee Tech, they're going to need to rely a little bit less on three-point shooting. A little bit more on the post with David Craig being perhaps one of the most dominant big men within this conference. And I think that they're going to be able to do so. So, I do think that Tennessee Tech maintains respectability. I've got them number six with regards to my projector finish. And number five, we're going to be going with the team that made the NCAA tournament. Southeast Missouri State. With Southeast Missouri State, they do lose a few of their top scorers from last year, but they actually did a nice job of being able to maintain much of this roster, and they play a style that is fast, like super-duper fast. Now, um, a lot of these teams within the conference, they do play fast as well. That's not necessarily exclusive, but number three in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and it's what they've got coming back in Kobe Clark. When they made their run in the NCAA tournament last year, they had to do it without Kobe Clark. Getting him back in the fold, I think, is absolutely massive. In the 19 games that he did play last season, as he began his career with the Georgetown Hoyas, he was able to give a little bit of versatility. Pop threes didn't necessarily do so very well, but 6.5 points, 1.5 steals, 1.2 blocks, 8.7 rebounds per contest. He is able to be a game changer down low for this bunch. Dylan Branson, he was able to have himself a nice back half of the season as well. Obviously he saw quite a few more minutes when Clark was out of the fold but for Mr. Branson, overall for the season, six and a half points, four 4.5 boards, shot about 34% for three. Auckland Smart, he was a former top 200 recruit. He was able to put in there right around 7.5 points per contest and Adam Larson, he made about 38% of his threes as well. I do think that Rob Martin and Braxton Stack are both entering into the program after. They were guys in the MVC last year. That is going to be solid. What they do need to do a better job of, being able to cut down on the fouls. This is a bunch at with regards to fouls on a per possession basis last year, they were 351st in the country. But all in all, I do think that there is going to be a little bit of upside with this Southeast Missouri State team at number 5 with regards to my projector of finish. And at number 4 of my projector of finish, we're going to be going with the Skyhawks of UT Martin. Now, with UT Martin, they are going to be missing quite a few of their top scorers from last year. But they bring back Jordan Sears, who was one of the fulcrums of the backcourt. half points, nearly 3 assists, 1.2 steals per contest. They also bring back Desmond Williams, who was able to put up a little bit over 8 points per contest. And top rebounder K.K. Curry. rebounds, 1.2 steals, shot 37% from three. The kicker here, Issa Muhammad. He comes in from New Mexico State. As we know, New Mexico State had some issues, but he was able to give the team 9.5 points, five boards in the whack last season. And JucoRecruiting.com rated Jacob Crew, the number 51 junior college transfer for the class of 2023. This guy put up numbers at... Daytona State College last year, 19.9 points, 6.9 rebounds, 1.1 steals, 1.1 blocks at 37% three point shooting. He began his career in North Florida, so he's got Division 1 experience. What we're going to be able to get out of Linton Brown is interesting as well. Very highly touted junior college transfer a few years ago. as SNSA founded at the D1 level at Coastal Carolina last year. 8.5 points on 37% three-point shooting. I like what Kenny White Jr. is able to bring to the table. They've got a lot of transfers coming in. Justice Jackson, he was over at Hawaii. Averaged 3.5 points on 34% three-point shooting last year as well. And then you've got Kobe Jeffries back after he was able to Log right around six points and three assists per contest two seasons ago. It just feels like a hodgepodge of different parts. And this team, I do think, is going to be having its struggles down low as well compared to the top teams within this conference. So, as a result, I am putting them in my projector finish over at number four. And number three, we are going to be looking at SIU-Edwardsville. With SIU-Edwardsville, they were really the most disappointing team in the conference because they pull off that nice upset win against St. Louis. Little did we know that St. Louis not only were they bad, they were one of the biggest underachievers in all of college basketball last season. So that was a little bit of a derailer to what we thought was a big time win. But they are bringing back a lot of their production from last year. You bring back the Wright brothers along with Demarco Minor, and I do think that that is something very major for this team as. For SIU Wintersville, the biggest thing for them was being able to have the Wright brothers, being able to be on the same page on fire on all cylinders, as Shamar Wright was a little bit more of the score for the team last year, 10.5 points, right around four boards per contest. And these guys have some versatility as well. With Lamar Wright, the lesser scoring of the two, 7.5 points per contest, shot 41.5% from three. Shamar shot more around 34% from three-point range. That is actually, yes, the kids of Lorenzo Wright, in case of you were wondering. But, It's all about getting Rayshon Taylor to just continue to dominate things in the backcourt. 15.5 points, 3 assists, 1.3 steals per contest. Shot about 35.5% from 3, and a lot of people forget this was actually the top defense in the conference with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. They need to find ways other than the free throw line to score, though. They were 12th in the country with regards to free throws attempted on a per-game basis. They do need to find ways to just be able to get the ball in a little bit more down low, in my opinion, You do have someone in DeMarco Minor that's able to do a very solid job down low, 5.5 boards, 14.5 points per contest, and actually shot 87.5% at the free throw line as well, but not bringing in really too much via the transfer portal. I do think it's going to be a little bit of an issue, and this is very much a top-heavy team that needs Terrence Thomas to be able to take some strides forward, shot 62.5% from the floor, 4.5 points, 3.2 rebounds per contest with Jalen Hoge being out of the fold, with having DeJuan Pruitt, also out as Pruitt. He was able to give you eight and a half boards. He was that top rebounder for this team last season. I do think that's going to be a little bit tough for SIU Edwardsville to be able to match up with some of the top teams down low and just overall with regards to firepower. So at number three in my projector finish, I'm going to be going with SIU Edwardsville. At number two, it is Moorhead State for me. With Moorhead State, this is the one team within the conference that is willing to play very slow, and they bring back their main point guard to Mark Freeman, and you could tell because Mark Freeman missed a few games last season. Due to injury, just what he means for this team, he was a leader in assists, led the team in scoring with right around 15.5 points per game, and I still remember when he was a true freshman over at Tennessee State, he was a little bit of a walking turnover, averaged 3.7 turnovers per game as a sophomore, as a matter of fact. That got down to 2.2 last season, all while still being able to shoot 36.5% from three, contributing 15 points per game for a slow team, so that is massive that they bring him back. I do like what Drew Thelwell is able to bring to the table. He was able to shoot about 38% from three-point range, Gave out 2.8 assists per contest. Was able to give you right around 4.5 boards per game as well. And then he put in there a little bit over 11 points per game. He's going to need to up that production a little bit. I don't really have too many concerns on that front. For more at State, you know that this team is going to be able to do a relatively solid job of being able to D up Khalil Thomas. He is back to full 7.8 points, 5 boards. Someone that was able to also shoot right around 37.5% from 3-point range. What I think is going to be very key for this team if they can get Jacksonville State transfer Amenzi Nugamezi to be able to get back to his 2021-2022 20, form, as he actually began his career at Georgia, but during that season two years ago, 8.7 points per contest on 40% three-point shooting as a six-foot-nine wing. You also bring in Jalen Wyndham. He shot 44% from three-point range for Ball State during the 2021-22 season last year. Shot more around 40% from three-point range. Former Utah at UW Milwaukee. Gentlemen, as well, and Jordan Lathan is massive as well. At 7.5 points, 5.3 boards, 2.7 assists per contest in the Ryzen League, each of the last two seasons before he was injured, missed the 2022 23 season. And then Deontay Miles, who 247 Sports had as a top 150 freshman recruit a few years ago. He saw limited minutes in the Big East each out of the last three years at Xavier. He comes in as a seven foot load that should be able to give the team a nice post presence as well. I am very bullish on this Morad State team. As a result, I have got them number two with regards to my projector or finish in that. Well, With regards to number one in my projector or finish, we are going to be riding with Tennessee State. Tennessee State not only brings back quite a bit of production from last year as Marcus Fitzgerald was able to give you a little bit over a three-assist-per-contest 13.5 13.5 points per game, shot 36% from three. He's back in full, but they have done a really good job of being able to find some talent via the transfer portal I think is going to pay immediate dividends and I think fits right into what Tennessee State is looking to do. As Tennessee State is quite a bit of an up-tempo team. You bring in someone like a Denham Dawson, he comes in from Nebraska. Someone that really didn't see a lot of burn over there, but... I think that in this conference and in the system, he's really going to be able to flourish. He's got some very nice versatility, a very good just general athlete that I think can really add something on the offensive side of things for this team. Right around 2 points, 2 rebounds per contest last season. He made 8 starts for that team as well. Jalen Jones, 247 Sports, rated him as the 3rd best freshman recruit in the class of 2023 from the state of Tennessee. He should be seeing immediate reps being able to handle the ball a little bit, and he's going to have Keenan Hodges, who comes in from Eastern Illinois, to be able to help him out, where he averaged 14.5 points, 3.5 boards, 2.7 assists per contest, with 17.2 points more like four boards, 1.3 steals on 38% three-point shooting in the last 12 games of the season. Christian Brown, who began his career at Georgia, was a 42.5% three-point shooter at 12 points per game. Last season was limited to 17 games due to injury. And then you're bringing in Jason Jeboteau, who is a 6'11 big man, began his career at Florida, averaged 5.7 points and 1.4 blocks per game in the games in which he actually got the start in last season. So that's something that you like to see. And you also bring in the Belmont duo. EJ Bellinger, along with Michael Shanks, they were both able to do a little bit of a nice job as role players at the program last few seasons, including Bellinger being able to shoot about 40.5% from three point range at about 6'4. I do like his versatility. You've got a lot of just greatly talented players that come into this roster. I do think that for Tennessee State, they are going to be able to win the OVC, and I think that Marcus Fitzgerald. Might be one of the most gifted guards within the conference. So, at number one in my projector finish, I'm going to be going Tennessee State, and that wraps things up for the Ohio Valley Conference preview edition right here on Coast Coast Soup, Soups. Now, part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at G N underscore D one. Keep in mind, letters, the M, they mean does not matter. So, as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way that's fine an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. A big thanks to Blake Lovell, who does tremendous work over at Southeastern 14, for joining me in the last segment. I'm with you guys every single day on this podcast, whether that be off season or regular season, doing a conference preview for every single one of these conferences. And then once we get in season, picks and analysis on every single game every single day. So I appreciate you guys tuning in today, and I'll be back with you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.